I'm excited about this series. It's called Ghost Sightings. We're looking at uh, seeing the Holy Spirit in action today. And the way that we're going to see him is how was he in action in the Bible? How was he in action in the Old Testament, the New Testament? He's not changed. He's the same God. You know, I've, I've done some, uh, some blunders when it comes to parenting. I have four children. And my youngest, who is almost 10 now, was about four when this occurred. We were camping, and we have a dog. His name is Rusty. Rusty, uh, before he got obese, was about 50 pounds. Now he's a little bit more, a lot more. But uh, Rusty was kind of a pup, and he was rambunctious. And, and Andy, my four-year-old, and I were walking him. We're camping. We're down in Delaware. We're walking Rusty in and uh, Andy said, Dad, I want to walk Rusty. I'm going to hold the leash. And I said, Andrew, I don't think that's a good idea. He says, Dad, come on, trust me, I could do this. Here comes my blunder. I, mean, I didn't want to just give him the leash because Rusty would bolt. I knew that. So I tied the leash around his wrist. <laughs> and I said, here you go. And of course, Rusty took off and dragged Andy face first through the campground. Now that would be funny if it was your child. I would have been laughing. But I have to go to the child's mother and say why there's all these abrasions on his face and forearms and chest. But listen, I want to use that little illustration, my blunder, for your benefit. Listen, you've got to anchor yourself in the Word of God. So when we go through this series, and today is no exception. You're going to have to chew. This isn't a straw sermon where you can sip it. This is one of the ones you chew. And I'm going to get deep, and we're going to explore the Word of God, and we're going to learn together. The Word of God is going to dwell in you richly. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is stay in the Word of God, because even some of the words we're going to see are important. And I want you to get the Word of God and you wrestle with it. Listen, don't let your mind wander. You know you can control that, right? Through Christ, take your mind captive. You can do it. So even right now, you ought to be praying, Lord, there's going to be all these distractions, but I've got to get these life-giving truths in my mind. Let me tell you about myasthenia gravis. It's a medical condition. Now listen, here's what it is. It's when the muscles of the body cannot respond to the signals that the brain sends. Normally, those signals are received in the muscle by an apparatus known, and this is not going to get complicated, as the motor end plate. We've all got them. They're little tiny apparatus in your body, and they receive the signals from your brain. But when you've got myasthenia gravis, those signals don't work. They're missing. Those motor end plates, they're missing or they're blocked. The signals are sent. Listen, the brain works. The brain sends the signals, but they're not received, and the muscles cannot respond. Well, you want to know what it looks like in a patient? They get a drooping eyelid. They get blurred or double vision, slurred speech, difficulty chewing, swallowing as it gets worse, chronic muscle fatigue, and when it gets really really serious difficulty breathing you can die from this and there is no cure they have medication that can help there is no cure well nicodemus that you're going to meet 
John chapter 3. Listen, he has a form of myasthenia gravis, except it wasn't physical. It was incurable. It was spiritual. Physicians could not do anything for him. It's going to be fatal one day for Nicodemus. And furthermore, listen, you got to hear this. Every one of us were born with this condition. At least in the way that I'm going to explain it. Well, I'm going to get to explaining it, but let's get to point number one, and I'll unfold how we all have had myasthemia gravis in our hearts. Every human being, this would be you, this would be me, this would be everybody you know, is in, in need of being born again. Now, I don't know what's going through your mind when you hear that. You might be already arguing, and that's fantastic. That means you're listening. That means you're wrestling. I, I like it when people are mentally arguing, and when you come up and, and you have the freedom to know that you can tell me when you don't agree with what I'm telling you. That's fine. You can do that. But listen, every human being is born in need of being born again. And here we go. John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to meet a man, look what it says, verse 1, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, I'm trusting you've got your Bibles open because I'm going to show you some really important words. He's a Pharisee. There's a lot of spiritual leaders, by the way. He's, he's from Israel. Israel's got lots of groups of spiritual leaders. Listen, they all were kind of vying and clamoring for preeminence over Israel. They wanted their voice to be heard more than anybody else's. You've got the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in the miracle. They stripped the Old Testament from the miracles from Deuteronomy on. They're kind of like today's Unitarian people. Then you've got the Essenes who were strict, they're monastic, separatists, they're like Jewish monks, they're apart from civilization, and you've got to really buy in, all in, it's communal living to be an Essene, you've got to give up everything and live among them. And then you've got the priests, and they're kind of like the early papal class, you know, the class of popes, and a lot of them were corrupt, and a lot of them were wealthy. But then you've got the Pharisees, Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees. They're scribes, they're teachers of the law. Listen, they're lawyers. If you want to know who the Pharisees were, here they are. Ready? Pastors slash lawyers of the Jewish people. And Nicodemus is one of them. He belonged to the Pharisees. But listen, look what it says. He's a ruler of the Jews. Did you catch that in the text? That means he's part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the kind of like the senators of the Jewish people. They ruled over all the Jewish people underneath the permission of Rome. They had 71 people on this council, and Nicodemus is one of the 71. Listen, he is wealthy, he is powerful, he is influential, he's a Pharisee, he's on the Sanhedrin. And he's got a Greek name. Nicodemus is a Greek name. This is incredibly unusual for a very pious, very loyal Jew to take a Greek name. Now, how could that have happened? Well, fathers who were really embracing Greek influence in the time of Christ would have a son. And sometimes they would give that boy a Hebrew name on the eighth day. 
and then they would give that boy a Greek name, and whatever that boy wants to take as he grows up, that's going to be his prominent name. Nicodemus took his Greek name, it's Nicodemus, and so now we've got kind of a profile. Now we've got really kind of some background that we just etched out of the scriptures. Here's Nicodemus. He likes Greek influence. He's a Pharisee, a pastor slash scribe or lawyer of the Jewish people. He's on the Sanhedrin like a senator. He's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of authority. And this guy is coming to Jesus and he's curious. This man came, verse 2. To Jesus by night. Now pause for a second. Look at me for just a moment. You know, there's pastors that just really camp on that. And they'll tell you Nicodemus was afraid. Nicodemus was not very brave. Nicodemus had to come by night. Listen, we don't know that. He came by night. Maybe he had a busy day. Maybe Jesus was teaching all day. This is the only time, perhaps, that he could come. We don't know if Nicodemus was brave or not. But listen, here's what we know. Just take the scripture for what it says. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Well, now flip your Bibles back just one chapter, if you could, to chapter 2, and look at verse 23. Look, you see that, that phrase, these signs, in verse 23? Let me just read it. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw not these signs, the signs that he was doing. These are miracles. These are supernatural demonstrations. And they were confirming two things. Now, you ready? The signs in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, had two functions. Now, you got to watch this, especially if you believe the sign gifts are still in operation today, as I do. I think in a very God-limited fashion. But if you believe they are, listen, here's what the sign gifts are for. Here's always what the signs are for. They are to confirm the message that you're preaching as a message from God. Now, watch. And they are to confirm the messenger who is preaching as being sent by God. It's not unusual when the gospel comes into an unreached people group that all of a sudden it's accompanied even today over in, in parts of Brazil and Africa and even in China, the gospel is exploding in China. It's not unusual that it's accompanied by these signs, these miraculous workings of God. They're confirming the message, confirming the messenger. Well, how do you know that? Well, look at what Mark 16 says. And they went out, the disciples did, and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. By the way, you track through the book of Acts. You even track through the Gospels. You track through the New Testament. And listen, you track through the history of the early church. And in every single of those four cases I just mentioned, when the gospel becomes rooted, the signs begin to diminish. And when God is doing a fresh work in a fresh place, the signs often return. And then when the gospel gets rooted, the signs get diminished. You know why? Because our tendency is to hunger for the signs rather than the one who's giving the signs, rather than Christ. 
Now those who were scattered, Acts 8 said, went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now watch this. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. They heard the gospel. They saw the signs. Watch. They paid attention to Philip. Signs confirm the message. They confirm the messenger. But you get back to John chapter 2, look at verse 24. Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, to the people. Now why? Now look at me. They wanted, the people wanted to take him by force and make him the king. They thought he was going to lead them free from Rome. So he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in a man. Now, I want you to see that because this is, by the way, striking for you and it's striking for me. He knew what was in a man. Now, friends, let me, let me just arrest your attention for a second. Do you know that Jesus knows everything about you? He knows what sins we struggled with this last week. You got some of those coming to mind right now? I know I do. He knows what sins you're going to struggle with this week. He knows those little threads of pride that go through you, that get forced out in the open in certain situations. Maybe your spouse, maybe your children, maybe your coworker. He knows what is in you. He knows, listen, there, he knows if you trust him. He knows if you have entrusted your life to him. He knows if you're still curious and you're seeking and you're a spectator, because there's some of you here that are there. That's all right. He knows when you're among the church, but not of the church. He knows when you're among the church and in the church and of the church. He knows what was in man. So watch what happens. It's going to happen in John 4. We're not going there today. It's going to happen with a Samaritan woman at the well. He's going to know exactly what was in her, that she's repeatedly been married, divorced, married, divorced, and now living with a guy that's not her husband. He's going to say it to her. He knew it. She didn't have to tell him. It's Jesus. He's the son of God. But now we're going to see he meet, meets Nicodemus, and he knows what's in Nicodemus. He knows that Nicodemus is the best that the world can produce. Listen, he's the best. He represents the very best that the world can make before God. And one who is going to go to eternal destruction if he's not born again. Nicodemus needed to be saved. So let's get to point number two. In order, now watch this. This is a play on words. You're going to need to listen. In order to even see God's kingdom, you must be born again. Now I'm going to unpack that. And for some of you, this is going to be brand new thinking. Notice I didn't just say in order to be in God's kingdom, you've got to be born again. That, that's true. We're going to get to that. But what, what we're going to see is even to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Now look at verse 3. That's where it says it. Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, 
truly, truly, by the way, I had a lady come up to me two weeks ago, last time I preached, and said, you know what, I really, I like how you tell us to listen all the time. Gets my attention. I learned that from Charles Stanley, there's master preachers that I try to learn to be a better preacher, better speaker. Listen, this is Jesus saying, listen, listen, truly, truly, you got to trust yourself to me for my words are true. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, now watch this, unless one is born again, he cannot what? Now, have you ever noticed that before? Cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, see doesn't mean ocular vision. It doesn't mean with your eyes that you're physically seeing something because there's enough light from fixtures or the sun coming in and it's reflecting back. That's not the kind of seeing that this word means. In the Greek, if I were you, I would put a little circle or underline the word see and write out in your margin because the word means perceive, understand. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot perceive, he cannot understand the kingdom of God. Now, that's a little bit different. Natural eyes, natural perception, natural mind, which we were all born with. Listen, every one of us have it. It cannot perceive, it cannot understand the kingdom of God. It doesn't, make, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't make sense. Not even visible to the natural mind. Now watch, every single person begins life with natural eyes. And it can only perceive, it can only understand, it can only reach for and aspire and want what's in this kingdom called the kingdom of the world. And there's a reason for that. And to understand the reason for that, I got to take you on a very, very quick journey all the way back to the beginning of mankind. So listen to this. God created man in his own image. He created Adam, a thinking, feeling, intellectual, living creation. He has a body. He has a soul. He has a spirit. What, what do they mean? Well, here's what our souls do. We all have them. If you, if you don't have a soul, you're either a real-life cast member of The Walking Dead or you probably got brought here on a hearse. So a soul enables you and I to think, to feel. Listen, if you feel, some of you may not, but if you feel and if you think, then you have a soul. It gives you your identity. How do you know who you are in this place, in this world? How do you know who you are in relation to God or in relation to other people? I mean, how do you not compare yourself to everybody and feel full of shame? Listen, it's your soul in operation forming your identity. But our spirits enable us to worship. So our souls enable us to think and feel. Our spirits enable us to worship, to be conscious of God, to love God, to obey God. Our bodies, that's the third part, our bodies enable us to serve God, to love one another, to serve one another. So you've got a soul, you've got a body, you've got a spirit. And they're all given by God and they were given to Adam. God creates Adam. 
Now watch this. And he creates Eve, and he gave them the Garden of Eden. Gave it to them to care for, to enjoy. All but one tree. Now listen, all but one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave him everything to enjoy but one tree. Why? God takes some perverse pleasure in holding out on us. My brother used to do that to me. Every single year, my brother John, when it was my birthday, would not give me my birthday gift from him until 11.59 p.m. Is that, God? Is that God? I mean, does he like to hold out on us? So he gives all of this beautiful garden of Eden and then says, okay, you see that tree in the middle? You can't touch that. You can't eat the fruit from that tree. It's because I like to play these games. You know why he did that? It was a symbol of dependence on him. The fruit of which they were not to eat or they would die, they must be dependent on God. Listen, if you think that God is going to get you to the place in eternity where you no longer need to depend on him, you don't know the Bible. We will always depend on God. All of our immortality and eternity will be derived from God. You're not going to get a magic pill that's going to let you live forever. Your living forever will be because of the sustaining power of God for eternity. So this tree represents dependence on God, but they chose to defy God. They chose to eat from it. What they were saying is what you and I say when we reach for illicit sinful things. We say we don't want to be dependent on you. We want to get it for ourselves. We want to be in control of our own lives. They died ate of that, that tree and they died, not, not just yet physically, that's coming for Adam and Eve. Now watch what happened. Adam died in his spirit. That part of him that had communion with God, God walks through the garden in the cool of the day, cries out, calls out to the man, where are you? And Adam's hiding behind fig leaves, hiding behind trees. His spirit was broken. He died in his soul, the seed of intellect, the part of him that could feel and create identity, full of shame at his nakedness, losing the perception of truth and the ability to comprehend. He could not comprehend what he could just moments before his soul died. And Romans tells us that when we forfeit the worship of the true God, people become futile in their thinking, their foolish hearts became, become Darkened. Well, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. His, his heart, his soul, his intellect became darkened. He lost the worship and God turned him over to worship created things rather than the creator. Listen, people have not lost the ability to reason. Watch. They've lost the ability to reason their way to God. You remember my opening illustration of myasthemia gravis? motor end plates are blocked or they don't work. The brain sends signals 
but they can't receive them. Therefore, the body cannot move. Do you remember that illustration? Listen, the spirit of a person, you got to get this. This whole point rests on you getting this. The spirit of a person was meant to play the part of the motor end plates. Receiving signals from God in worship, resulting in the movement of obedience, resulting in the movement of communion to enjoy God forever. The motor end plates were destroyed in Adam. He could not receive, he could not worship, he could not commune with his God any longer. His spirit died. When he sinned, the capacity of his spirit to perceive and respond to the signals of God's word, it was destroyed in him. Now listen, it was destroyed in Eve. Now you really got to listen because it was destroyed in every single human being that would be born from their union. You were born with a spirit that broke. And I was born with a soul and a spirit that was broken. You're born with a body that's going to suffer entropy, that's going to go from order to disorder and eventually die. Paul says it more clearly than I ever will. He says the natural person, that's the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, it's not that they don't accept them because they think they've got a better way, although they do. They, they're not able to accept them because they cannot accept them. The motor end plates in their spirit don't receive God's word. Something has to fix it. Listen, the unsaved are not unintelligent. There are smart men and women who understand all sorts of complicated, complex matters. The problem is not intelligence. The problem is they have no capacity in their fallen spirit to perceive God's truth. They cannot see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Listen, something has to recreate their spirit in order to perceive God's kingdom. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, as we're about to see. And it leads, or it lends rather, such irony to Nicodemus. Look what he says. Rabbi, we know. Listen, that is the funniest part of this entire passage. No, Nicodemus, Jesus is thinking, you do not know. Your spirit is darkened. You cannot know the truth, which is what I'm willing to restore in you. I will fix your spirit, Nicodemus, but you've got to put your faith in me. And then you will not only see and perceive the kingdom of God, you will enter it. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, something's got to recreate the motor end plate called the spirit. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The ability to perceive, to see, to understand, to receive signals from God has got to be regenerated. A person must be born again in order to understand the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God, is, it's vastly different than the kingdom of this world. What is the kingdom of God? Well, let me back up. The kingdom of this world is everything you can touch, see, interact with, experience. That's the kingdom of this world. 
The kingdom of God is vastly different. It's the absolute sovereign rule of God. Which was about to break out, Jesus said, on this planet. It's going to start as a tiny little mustard seed. Now watch this. And it's going to grow into a tree that is 24 feet in diameter. That's how big those trees get. From his tiny little speck of a mustard seed, that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. And it's going to increase, and it's going to increase, and it's going to increase. And more and more people are going to come into it as they have their 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 spirit their motor motor end plates regenerated they can see they can enter and they can be in the kingdom of god see the kingdom of god is ultimately heaven now watch this because we don't do a very good job see the kingdom of god is ultimately heaven now watch which is made evident on earth through the church you hear that? Well, you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? Well, when the church operates the way she should, you're seeing and experiencing the kingdom of God. They're not the same thing. The kingdom of God operates through the church. Does that mean God doesn't rule? Jesus doesn't rule the kingdom of the world? Listen, he made an, the Sea of Galilee stop like that. He restored limbs that had become atrophied and reabsorbed into their body because of leprosy. He restored vision. He made a feast out of hardly anything. He changed the very properties of the dynamics of water to make it the best wine at the wedding. He rules over everything. Revelation says he's the king of all nations. Listen, the Supreme Court decision did not catch God by surprise. And Christian, you should not be unduly unsettled. How else is the unsaved person to think if their spirit is broken? They cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot see that God created marriage to be only between a man and a woman. That there is no example, nowhere in scripture where God blesses the union of two women and two men. Nowhere. But they can't see that. We should not be unsettled by that. We should pray for them. We should love them. We should bring the gospel to bear and teach them with all patience. We should be kind to them, not argumentative. But Christian, we should be bold. We should be loving. We should not cave and conform to the patterns of this world, the world's thinking. But this kingdom of God cannot be perceived Unless the eyes of the heart, that's the spirit, are enabled to see it, which exactly is going to happen, or at least that's what, that's what Nicodemus is going to be so puzzled about. Look what he says, verse 4. But Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This is sarcasm, by the way. Yes, even the Pharisees had it. I have that particular gift of the spirit. You don't need your mother to birth you again, Nicodemus, because you're going to be just as fallen as you were the first time and just as unable to perceive and enter the kingdom of God as you were the first time you went around. That's not the solution. But you're ready to dig? Get your shovel out. We're going to dig. And I would circle the word again. 
Jesus used a word for again that in John's gospel always meant this. You ready? Now, this is going to make sense, but i got to make sure you're paying attention. So let me read that a little bit more. Unless one is born again, what's that mean? A second time? Well, maybe that's what Nicodemus thought. That's why he said, i got to get back into my mom's womb again. That's not the word he used. Nicodemus knew it. The word he used means from above. Or from the very first or the very beginning. Now watch what he does. Jesus is taking Nicodemus, who knew the word of God, knew the Old Testament just fine. He takes him back to the birth of the first man, Adam. You remember when God took some dust and he formed him into the shape of a man? And then this is what happened in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. See, the one who breathed life into that pile of dust was the Holy Spirit. His name means wind. His name means breath. The Ruach. This is the Holy Spirit. He breathed life into dust. He's the one that's going to recreate you, Nicodemus. See, Job got this. Job got it. He said, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. He knew the Spirit of God was the breath of the Almighty. Listen, you want to know who the Spirit of God is? He's the Spirit of God that breathes life into dead motor and plate spirits and brings them back to the ability to see and to perceive. I want the kingdom of God. It's better than the kingdom of this world. I need the kingdom of God. That's the the Spirit of God's job. He has to recreate Nicodemus. He has to recreate you, and he had to recreate me. And he has to breathe life into our spirits, and then we can see the kingdom of God. But look at point three, and I'm going to move a little quicker. To be born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. And the Word of God. Now watch, watch me for a second. And I'm not trying to be crass, and this is not crass. It took both Denise and I to make four children. Parents, it took you two to make your children. When I was a little boy, I honestly believed, very sheltered in a very close-knit Christian home, I really believed that all you did was pray. Mom and Dad prayed, and God put a baby in her stomach. Till my dad took me to Burger King one night, gave me the birds and the bees talk, shocked me. I didn't want to be alone with him again for years. And I don't want him talking like that to me again. That's just weird. Because you know what it is. That means, mom and dad, this is what you did for me. Yeah. Listen, we want our kids to move away. We start talking about sex. If they're too close to us in the front room and we want privacy, we just start talking about, hey, you know what, honey, I can't wait till later tonight. They get right up and leave. It's kind of fun. <laughs> Try it. It works. To be born again is the work of the Holy Spirit, and there's a conjunction, and the word of God. Now watch this unfold. Jesus says, John 3, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. You see that and? 
you got to be born of water and the Spirit, or you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, now watch this. Jesus changed from see the kingdom of God to now enter the kingdom of God. You've got to be born from above. The Spirit of God has to regenerate the motor end plates of your spirit for you to perceive God's kingdom. Then you can enter it. But what's that mean, water and the Spirit? Does that mean the, the physical birth, the release of embryonic fluid of the mother? Does that what that water means? That's how some believe. You've got to be born normally. And then reborn by this, that's not what it means. And it doesn't mean water baptism because water baptism is a sign and never the means of salvation. So what does water refer to? Well, if you were here for the Nehemiah series, when we toured the gates of Jerusalem, you might remember that the water gate was the gate of the word of God. It was at the water gate which followed the fountain gate representing the Spirit of God. It was at the water gate that the Spirit of God fills you with his word and cleanses you of all impurity. Sanctifying, purifying your heart. Look at what Ephesians says. Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. Now watch this. By the washing of water with the word. That's what the word of God does. Listen, this is why the word of Christ has to dwell in us richly. It washes the impurities of the world away. Water is God's living and abiding word. Listen, it's this. It's the scriptures. Peter couldn't make it more clear. He says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed. That means the, a mom and a dad's union. That's not what he, he's saying. It's not of that kind of seed. It's imperishable. Now through, here's the channel, through the living and abiding word of God. Listen, how do you get born again? How does your motor end plate and your spirit get regenerated? It's got to be the spirit of God taking the word of God and making you come to life. Listen, if you're a church that lets go of your confidence in God's word, watch. You're a church that will not see new births. Spirit of God restores the motor end plates of the human spirit, enabling people to see and perceive, now watch, and respond to the signals from the word of God. You see, you got natural man, unsaved man. That capacity was destroyed in Adam's sin. God's the only one that can restore it. And once it's restored, the word of God can stir you to faith, can stir your spirit to life. Which is what Paul says in Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Listen, Christian, this is why we share. This is why we teach. This is why we preach the word of God. This is why you've got to know the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Memorize the word of God. It's all to be scripture-centered because it's the very power that the spirit of God uses to bring life to dead spirits. Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, 
You've got to be born of the Word of God and, and the Spirit of God. Your efforts, Nicodemus, your efforts to keep the law, your efforts to make yourself acceptable to God, they're worthless. Salvation, Nicodemus, it's an inside job. It's completely of grace. It's something that God the Holy Spirit does in you through his word. Now, you want to see even more clear teaching from Jesus on this? Can you flip forward three chapters to John chapter 6, verse 63? It could not be more clear than this. It is the Spirit, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. Now watch how. The flesh is no help at all. You can work your way. You can try to make yourself a pleasing person to God. It will not work. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, my word, which is living and functional, they are to you they are spirit and life. The word of God and the spirit of God. They join together. They recreate your spirit. They restore your motor end plates. Now you can see and perceive the kingdom of God. And now you've got the will and the desire to follow Christ into it. Paul echoed it later. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus says the flesh is no help at all. What's the flesh? That means the weakness and the frailty of our whole being. The flesh is uh, absolutely unable to restore the ability of the human spirit to receive and perceive God's truth. Now listen, you got to get this. Now I'm going to get you in Nicodemus' sandals for a second. You're a Pharisee. I'm a Pharisee. We're a Sanhedrin ruler. We're the pastors and the lawyers of the Jewish people. Man, we know the word of God cold. We're solid in the Old Testament. That's, that's Nicodemus, that's you and me right now. So how difficult this had to be for Nicodemus, whose whole religion called Judaism was a system of law and works. I mean, the whole system was built on control. By the way, if you've been in a legalistic church, every legalistic system is built on control. The word of God is not enough. You've got to reinterpret it. You've got to put fences around it. You've got to put, add in prohibitions. You've got to add in laws and strictures and all of these teachings that say, no, this is what you do with the word of God. So don't drink alcohol because if you drink alcohol, you couldn't possibly be a Christian because no priest was allowed to drink alcohol alcohol when they served. That's how legalism sounds. You see, the Judaism, the Pharisees took the core of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, and then they added layer after layer, what they called fence after fence around it of human responsibility. Now watch this. You got to obey the Sabbath, they taught. Here's what you can do and cannot do on the Sabbath. A woman was forbidden to look into a mirror on the Sabbath because she might be tempted to pull out a gray hair that she could see and break the Sabbath. That's where it got to for Judaism. Or you could swallow vinegar on the Sabbath if you've got a sore throat, but you cannot gargle it because that would be work. Listen, Nicodemus taught these things. 
hundreds and hundreds, 613 main fences and thousands of little tributary fences made up the, the, the Talmud and the Mishnah later in 200 AD. This is legalism, something very different from grace. See, in grace, you've got to give up the control. Grace says, God saves you. Not God plus you, not God plus your works. It's not God helped over the top with your efforts and then all of a sudden you're saved. It is God and God alone. It is by grace and grace alone. It's a gift. If you earned it, it's a paycheck. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You did not create it. So Jesus says in verse 7, do not marvel. Come on, Nicodemus' mind is blowing. Do not be overwhelmed that I said to you, Nicodemus, verse 7, look at it, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See that word wind is the word for the Spirit of God. And it blows, he blows, and he breathes where he decides to. And what, Nic what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, you're struggling, Nicodemus. I can see it. I know what's in the man. You're struggling because you cannot figure out how to control this new birth. You're struggling because I'm telling you that you're dead in your sins, and that you cannot even perceive the kingdom of God, much less enter it. Your motor end plates and your spirit are dead. They're broken. They can't receive the signals. You've got to be regenerated. You've got to be born again. And the only one that can do it is the spirit of God. And you've got to give up and yield and trust. And you've got to trust that my life will be hung on a cross and I will be dying for you. Look what he says, verse 15. And as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, that's how you get reborn. You look at me, your faith has got to have an object. You put your faith in me, your trust in me, in the Spirit of God. Well, you're not even going to be able to see my cross. You're not even going to perceive that it's God's way of saving sinners unless the Spirit of God regenerates you, restores your motor end plates. Listen, you've got to trust that God can do it for you. Now, somebody is going to say as I conclude, which I am seconds from being done, this message wasn't practical at all. I can't apply this. I just got a bunch of theology. Well, amen to that, in my opinion. If you don't have theology, you're my little four-year-old tied to the leash of a rambunctious pup, and you're going to be dragged over the surface of this world when the winds of trials blow. It's theology that anchors you. It's theology that weights you down so you don't drift. But you're going to say, maybe, somebody might say, I don't know how to apply this. Well, let me give you three super quick ways, and I'm going to be done. Number one, you've got to be compassionate to unbelievers. Who, they, they cannot help but reject God. You've got to understand that. You can't get frustrated with unbelievers. They're living according to their fallen nature. They're living with a motor end plate problem called myasthemia gravis of the spirit. They can't do anything else. 
If you're going to get frustrated, be frustrated at the Christians because they're not bringing the message to the unbelievers. So be compassionate. But number two, be consistent in praying that God would regenerate them by the power of his spirit. Listen, it's not your, your well-packaged approach. It's not you getting the presentation of the gospel down cold that's going to restore the motor end plates of the spirit. Listen, you can't do it. It's going to be the clear, simple proclamation of the word of God, and it's going to unite in intimacy with the spirit of God, and it's going to produce a regenerated spirit when God decides to blow. So be consistent, pray, speak the words of life to your unbelieving friends. And be confident to share with them that truth. Because they really are the words of life. Compassion, consistent prayer, confidence in God's word, that's your takeaway today. Let me end with this. We're a little over. But bear with me just as I close. Every human being starts out with a motor end plate problem. It's broken. Spirits cannot perceive. They cannot receive God's word. The signals can't register, and they can't move them in worship and obedience. They've got a problem, and the problem's only resolved one way. The Spirit of God must blow where it chooses and where it wishes, and it must combine with the word of God, and it must bring life to the Spirit, reconnection to the word of God. So now God can send the signals, the person can receive them, and they can respond and enter the kingdom of God. You've got to be compassionate. We've got to be consistent and we've got to be confident god knows what he's doing get the word of god out amen